Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, 32, Steve Thomas, uh, one, of, one of the great Leafs back in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, how's it going out your way today? We should start this off with a Leaf player by the number. I mean, Stumpy. That was he was one of my favorite players growing up, especially in the early '90s, uh, early or late '90s, early thousands days. Uh, he was kind of like the OT winner guru back then. But I am doing good, man. Uh, this week has been it's been interesting, to say the least. Um, yesterday I had a COVID birthday. You know, got on Zoom. Had a good time with family and friends and everything like that. And a bit of a surprise story yesterday. After my Zoom call with my family, I go to my room, check open the blinds, see what's going on. Because, you know, I was a little bit bored. See something red on my neighbor's lawn? It's a bushfire. Oh. And I was in a panic because I'm like, what the hell is going on? But luckily, someone caught it, got some water, poured water on it. But everyone conglomerated over to it to make sure everything was okay. And I'm just like, wow. That's uh, something that you don't expect to see in March when there's not enough heat or anything dry right now, especially in the city. But it was, um, yeah, that was that was my Saturday. How was yours? The 2020s, man, that's, uh, <laughs> I think we're going along with the expect the unexpected rolling over from 2020. So for sure, man, um, funny story about Stumpy is that, uh, so I have an uncle named Steve Thomas and back, uh, back when we were younger, uh, we used to joke with uh, a buddy of ours that, uh, my brother and I used to joke with a buddy of ours that, uh, you know, our uncle is Steve Thomas and we actually got him to sign a Steve Thomas card one time and, <laughs> And gave it to this guy, but man, it was just, uh, it was one of those things that you just kind of, you had to, you had to pick on him a little bit because he was just, uh, he was so gullible the way he was, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I've always, that's been my, kind of my story, uh, when it comes to Steve Thomas, but yeah, I always loved watching him. Um, my, uh, my Saturday has been good or was good. Um, I actually got the little guy out to, to see the family for a little bit. Oh, nice. Um, so it's been a while. Like I've, I, I think I've mentioned on previous episodes, um, my son is now 10 months old, hasn't seen or hasn't met most of my extended family, mm-hmm. uh, including including my grandma who gets her vaccination in the net. I, th- I think she got her first shot already, uh, but she uh, she'll be getting a, the, the other one uh, hopefully fairly soon and uh, get him down to see her. So that'll be exciting. Um, but yeah, aside from that, we're here recording on Sunday. The Leafs won last night. Big news out of uh, big news out of them because uh, they have definitely not been on a roll lately, mm-hmm. uh, having the second worst record in the last eight games to only the Buffalo Sabers. Um, and we all know that even Buffalo News has the Buffalo Sabers ranked below the Seattle Kraken on their power rankings. <sighs> Um, which is a big shot at the Sabres. Um, yeah. 
And obviously we have a little bit of news coming out of Buffalo this week as Ralph Kruger was let go as head coach of the, the, uh, the Sabres. Um, in, in a sense, I feel like they're doing him a favor um, mm-hmm. because I don't know if anybody wants to have that job right now. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's one of those things. It's one of those, uh, one of those gigs that, uh, you know, isn't maybe the most pleasurable job to have at this point in time. Um, but that said, uh, they obviously, they obviously decided to go a different way. And Kevin Adams, um, he decided to put Don Granado behind the bench for the Sabres interim coach. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I just, you know, I wonder how much of it, uh, is going to help at this point in the season. Um, first off, I just want to say congrats to your, um, grandmother for getting the vaccine. We need some positive news right now. That is great. Um, first and foremost, um, jumping back into the Sabres right now, man. Yeah, it's uh, to be ranked lower than a team that's not even filled out its roster in the NHL yet. That is the lowest of lows. I mean, how much further, how much more controversy or issues can this team have this season where your stars are underperforming? One of your big free agents is, you know, virtually been invisible. Your coach got fired. You're on a, like, 13-game losing streak right now. I Like you said, like, I, I don't understand, like, how if this is a situation you want to be going into, if you're, you know, uh, a candidate for something, especially as a head coach right now, but yeah, I agree. They did Ralph Kruger a favor. Um, I'm just looking at his coaching record right now. I mean, he coached 2012, 13 Edmonton Oilers went 19, 22 and seven, a winning percentage of 469. Came back in 2019-20 with the Sabres, 30, 31, and 8, 493. This season right now, it's just things went south really bad. And I understand that the team has faced quite a bit of issues with COVID and everything. I know that they got hit hard. I know Rasmus Ristolainen um, dealt with, you know, some pretty bad symptoms. And, you know, it does take a toll on the team. But, man... It's just issue after issue piling up right now. I mean, where do you where do you begin? It's the crazy thing about this whole thing is that the Sabers on paper are not a bad team. Absolutely on, not. On paper, they have they have some legitimate players who are able who have been able over their careers to to put up decent numbers and and be you know relatively important players in the NHL. Um, but yeah, I just they don't seem. Like they want to play. I I don't know if you saw the clip. I forget who it was that uh, basically deked through the entire Buffalo defense um, and, and ended up scoring. And it just uh, it, it honestly looked like it was a bunch of pylons at at practice that he was deking through because they yeah. just sticks sticks flying, just trying to uh, you know send your stick out there and trying to knock the puck away, but not really doing anything, not moving the feet. Um, it was just, it was, it was embarrassing look for the Sabres and who are supposed to be an NHL team. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, very, very, very hard to watch. Yeah. Um, 
I know that there was another clip. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was TJ Yoshi. He got around three players. And I think the only one to make a, you know, reasonable stick check attempt was Eric Stahl. And I believe it ended up in a save, but I'm looking at the points percentage right now. You know, you have your top teams, you have your Golden Knights, you have your Lightning, Panthers, Hurricanes, Capitals, Avalanche, Islanders, Toronto, uh, Bruins, and Wild. The Minnesota Wild, surprising, are the top 10 in the league right now in points percentage. Way at the bottom, 276 Buffalo Sabres right now. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, again, where do you go from here? I know that recently Quinn McClellan from the uh, the Hockey Raiders came out with an interesting piece about the Kings having blockbuster trade options to, you know, sort of improve their decor. And lo and behold, the first option is Rasmus Dahlin. There's already been talks of Jack Eichel being rumored or being dealt how do you think Rasmus Dahlin feels right now with all the pressure coming in as a number one overall pick, your, your franchise altering defenseman, two-way guy, power play, penalty kill, and now 20 years old, being already in discuss of rumors possibly in trade uh, scenarios? I mean, again, what do you do now? I mean, can you can you imagine, though, like being Eric Stahl at this point and where you originally didn't want to come over? um to buffalo mm-hmm. you get kind of talked into it you, you're coming over obviously played with kevin adams in carolina yeah and now all of a sudden you're the one guy on the ice actually making an effort mm-hmm. i mean like it just I, I i feel bad for guys like that i feel bad i think we've talked about it before i feel bad for a guy like jack eichel who just Nothing seems to be going his way uh, with the Sabers, and 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 at a certain point, man, like you just, it's time, to, it's time to go, it's time to go, yeah. and that and that goes for guys like Darlene, who yes, you know, comes in as as you know, top rated defenseman, gonna be your power play quarterback, all this stuff, and and you know, he's only a few years in, and he's gonna be probably thinking the same thing as Eichel, you know, when am I gonna get my chance to get out of here because. Things just are not looking promising in Buffalo. What do you do first? Do you try and... I mean, obviously the owners can't do much because they're the owners. I mean, you can't fire them. But, you know, in a perfect world, maybe this is... Most of the blame could be fell on the owners. We've seen what they've done in the past, especially the fan base where, you know, they were really irate about what was going on with the Buffalo Bills. I mean... In this situation, you've already dealt with the general manager in the offseason. You've dealt with the head coach midseason. Again, is is it now the player's time? Although I think a majority of the blame should be pinned on the owners at this point, too. Because, like you said, they do have good players. It's just the execution just isn't quite working out. And, we, and I think we saw that with Kruger. But, you know, quite a... A lot of their players are positive possession players, but the rates of like, you know, the expected goals for the goals against just really quite isn't there with some of them right now. And looking at goals for percentage right now, tops on the team, Jake McCabe, Rasmus Asplund, Curtis Lazard. Then again, Rasmus Asplund only played five games. Uh, Riley Shahan. Jake McCabe is the only one above 50%. Everyone else is well below that. 
if you're looking at like you know more minutes from Jake McK or Restless Asplund, who's only played 51, yeah, that's yeah. not a good percentage or or great good rate for anybody. No, I think one of the biggest problems right now, you keep firing GMs, you keep firing coaches, and you're giving the players a way out. Yeah, I think at a certain point you have to hold the players the players accountable, and mm-hmm. and if that means moving moving a star guy and getting some pieces back, that's what you do. Um, and, and it might not be ideal, you know, it might piss a lot of people off, but at the end of the day, every time you fire a coach, you're saying, yeah, it was on the coach's shoulders that, that, you know, the reason why we weren't playing well. Yeah. And and I, I'm starting to think that, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that in Buffalo, it's not, it's not on the coach's shoulders anymore. There's, there's somebody, something there, somebody there that's, that's causing the room to be more of a disruption than, than anything else. Yeah. And they got to figure it out. Because if they don't figure it out, we're going to be talking about the same thing next year. We're going to be talking about the same thing in 2022, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I've I, I mentioned it before. I think Buffalo fans deserve better. Yeah. Uh, 100%. I mean, so, I, 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 I honestly, I don't know what the answer <laughs> is. I don't know what the answer is. And I this wish is, I did. And it's funny because this is now like maybe the fourth or fifth time where we've discussed about this because it is a glaring issue. I mean, you look at other teams at least trying to make the effort and you're just not seeing it on ice with this team anymore. And it's, and it is concerning. If I was a Sabres fan, I'd be like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I don't, like I said, you know, I, I love to claim to be an, an armchair GM, but uh, at the end of the day, <laughs> I don't, um, uh, I don't have the answer here and I don't mm-hmm. think many people do. And that's, you know, that's, uh, it's, it's a tough look for the team right now. It really Very. is 13 Very. in a row, you know, on the verge of, you know, hitting 20 in a row. Like they got to figure something out. Yeah. They got to figure something out and do, and do it quick. Turn this, turn this franchise around. Mm-hmm. Poor Buffalo yeah. has already had the, uh, already had the bills for a number of years. And now they got the Sabres doing the same thing. So, yeah. Got to gotta vault over the Seattle Kraken at this point. I think that would just yes. be a win in, 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 in its entirety at the moment right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, to to uh, Moving on here, two former Buffalo Sabre, Sabre goalies. Um, Ryan Miller passes Donovan Koshik on the NHL's all-time wins list. Um, Ryan Miller recorded his 390th career win. Uh, passing Donovan Koshik for 14th all time. Next on that list is Chris Osgood, 11 ahead of Ryan Miller. So Miller, a top 15 goaltender when it comes to wins. Has he kind of flown under the radar in Anaheim the last little while? Yeah, considering the fact that he spent most of his time as sort of the backup role. I mean, John Gibson is has ultimately been their go-to guy and, for the past few seasons, Gibson has been their MVP, considering the fact that the Ducks have been, you know, somewhat slowly falling in the standings, and we're seeing that this year again. But, yeah, I, you know, Ryan Miller has been a very underrated player all of his life. I mean, lights out with Buffalo. That was the prime. couple of really good seasons with the Vancouver Canucks as well. I know we all had our, you know, hearts in our throat when, you know— we, Canada went to overtime against USA in the 2010 Olympic gold medal game. And Ryan Miller was, you know, a phenomenal 
player for them back then. But you're looking at a goalie who's had, you know, really relatively good success right now. And honestly, I, I, I'm kind of shocked. I thought Donovan Kostic would have been a little bit higher on that list, to be honest. But you know what? 14th overall, being a top 15 goalie, it's nothing to, you know, sneer at. He's had a really good career. Um, you know, all-star Vesner winner in 20, uh, 2009-10. You know, you really can't say anything bad about him. He's been a really good veteran presence, and even to try and help out in Anaheim with uh, John Gibson as well. I mean, it, it's just going to work out for him, and they got a good tandem going on right now. So, yeah, it's good career. Um, I think he had some bad success in terms of playoff performances where they were on a really good team and they just couldn't go a little bit further, but man, he's been absolutely phenomenal. No doubt about it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Kind of going over a few more of the milestones we've seen this week. David Krejci recorded his 700th career point uh, on a three assist night. Uh, Jamie Drysdale scored his first NHL goal and also added an assist in his debut for Anaheim. Uh, Ovechkin recorded his 720th goal um, also, midweek passing Phil Esposito on the all-time goals list uh, for sixth all-time. So he's only 11 back of Marcel Dion for fifth all-time. Uh, just unbelievable there. Um, and then, obviously, Hedman recorded his 500th point. Uh, so big news for the defenseman there as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I, I should mention also Joey Decord also uh, got recorded his first win for the Ottawa Senators um against our Toronto Maple Leafs yeah uh but that said uh, big big moment for him as well and obviously a guy who's uh you know just truly down to earth emotional I don't know if you saw that post-game interview but oh yeah a guy that just uh you know gave credit to everyone but himself on that uh on that win so big news for all those players obviously we'll talk we'll mention Ovechkin 720 goals the the hunt for Wayne Gretzky continues and he's only 174 back. Uh, this is our weekly OV watch segment presented by nothing. Um, but, but you can get your name in there if you decide to sponsor the podcast. Exactly. Exactly. Presented by question mark or to be determined at this point. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, 11 goals behind Marcel Dion right now. And a couple of episodes ago, we had a really, you know, I mean, it seems like every episode we're having a really in length discussion about how he's, you know, slowly rising up that list right now. But I said that, you know, he could definitely pass Dion for fifth overall. And it's looking like that, you know, he can do it. And I'm just going to, I'm going to highlight Brett Hall. I'm going to circle back to him. He has 14 goals of the season right now. And he's apparently on pace for... 28 27 at this point um on pace for 27 goals so that will you know definitely put him over the top if he scores 27 goals that'll put him at i am not good with math so he would need about 13 more goals 13 more goals will definitely put him over the top and he will be at roughly 733 if i'm not mistaken yeah, no, you're right. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, whew, haven't done math at the top of my head since grade school. Good to know. Um, 
yeah, the fact that he only needs or 13 goals to match that, you know, pace, it's going to be great because now he can easily be at possibly 747, well above Brett Hall's 741 pace or 741 goals that he scored in his career. So not only can is Dion within reach, Brett Hall is in jeopardy of being bumped down to fifth. So, again, 14 or 13 goals for Ovechkin to score in this league is probably about two or three weeks work. If he scores about, you know, one, two goals per game. Um, you know what? I'm going to be generous. I'm going to say four weeks because why not? But it's 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 a cakewalk for him right now. And the fact that he's still going, hey, I, 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 I've said it before. The Wayne Gretzky goal record could be in jeopardy. Just going to leave it at that. Yeah, and it would put him in great position if he finishes the year with 747. Mm-hmm. Uh, put him in great position to knock off Yarmer Yager for third all-time next season. And assuming that it's a full season, would also put Gordy Howe's 801 uh, in jeopardy if he can put together another 50-goal year. So, yeah. I mean, you're talking about this. You're, ta- you're, you're talking about Ovechkin potentially being the second overall goal scorer, uh, um, you know, all-time after next season. That's that's some pretty incredible company. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's but, no other way to say it. <laughs> yeah, no. So so huge on his part. Um, I did mention Krejci's 700th point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 702 points in 935 career games with the Boston Bruins. He is ranked eighth all time on the Bruins in points behind Cashman, Wayne Cashman, Bobby Orr, Patrice Bergeron, Rick Middleton, Phil Esposito, Johnny Busick, and Ray Bork. So some pretty incredible company for him as well. And a guy who's done it so quietly over his career. Yeah. And I remember when the 2012-2013 season, when that infamous, you know, Game 7 collapse happened, I was scared every single time David Krejci came on the ice because he was a major thorn in their side at that point, being, uh, you know, the playmaker that he is, you know, setting plays up, but even scoring at the perfect opportune times. He was dangerous during that series. And obviously you could still point to Patrice Bergeron and everybody else during that time. But man, strong playmaker. And he only has one goal this season. Everything has been assists, and that is really something. That is something that you really don't see often, you know, where I'm going to try and say that it's more likely to get that Cy Young Award feel where, you know, you have so many goals and so little assists. But to see that where it's just one, one goal and 15 assists, that's... That's still pretty impressive, no matter how you look at it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, like I said, has done it quietly with Boston. I mean, when you're when you're behind guys like Marshawn, Pasternak, um, you know, even Big Z over your career, Bergeron. I mean, you're 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 not maybe getting the recognition that you deserve, but yeah, man, he's he's had a hell of a career, and and you know you really have to start thinking this guy is potentially going to be go down as one of the greatest Boston Bruins of all time. Um, yeah. Just in terms of what he's been able to do with that club. But 
Another another note on Victor Hedman. He recorded his 500th point of his career in 792 games. Uh, he's at 505 career points. He is 69th all sorry tied for 68th all time with John Carlson in defenseman uh, points um, in the NHL. And there is absolutely no sign of this guy slowing down. Uh, he is also among all time um, Tampa Bay Lightning. He's fifth all time in points behind Kucherov, Stamkos, LeCavalier, and St. Louis. So again, another guy who's just had an absolute phenomenal career. Um, you know, obviously everyone kind of knew what they were expecting from Hedman uh, being being where he went uh, in the draft, and and you know Tampa's really done well in terms of building that blue line. So he's kind of their stud guy. He's a guy that uh, obviously every every team would love to have, but. Um, yeah, just unbelievable numbers for a guy like Hedman. What you said. I mean, um, yeah, just just phenomenal how he carries the pace of play, how he's always dominated at both ends of the ice. I mean, I mean, he's going to go down in franchise history. It's probably one of the best defensemen that they've had. I mean, there's no other way to sugarcoat that. I mean, the players that they have right now, Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, all of them are going to be in the history books for their team and making the part of the record books. So, yeah, huge congrats to him. I mean, what he's doing is not easy, especially for a defenseman right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, going off of that, uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but obviously the Bruins have uh, have placed a few players on COVID protocol this season. Uh, Ranger staff also missed a game, uh, their entire coaching staff, as they were under COVID protocol. Um, so, again, the, the the pandemic is still running rampant in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's, I mean, for me, they've got it a little bit more under control, but it's still something that obviously is a major worry as we move towards vaccinating, you know, as many people as we possibly can here in North America. Um but jumping off of that, uh, I want to quickly talk about, did you see the Blake Wheeler game misconduct last night at the end of the game? Um, that was the Edmonton Jets game. I yes. probably, I was, I was sound asleep at that point. So I did not, even when I woke up this morning, I may have missed it. So, so I would like to be filled in. Yeah. So Fridge tweeted about it and I kind of, uh, you know, I took a quick look at it and, and just just to see what happened. Cause at the end of the game, he was, he was uh, handed a uh, game misconduct. Um, and he threw the puck over the, like into the stands from uh, almost center ice. Um, obviously frustrated with the way that his team played, obviously, obviously frustrated with the situation that they were beat by, by the Edmonton Oilers and, and Winnipeg's had a little bit of a tough goal as of late. Um, but yeah, took the puck and just threw it into the stands um wow yeah i mean it just i guess i guess it's a little different not having fans there um Mm -hmm. obviously you're not you're not at at risk of hitting somebody but still just man i I get the frustration but at at a certain point like we've seen we've seen some all-time freakouts in terms of in terms of players this season i go back to the matthew to chuck situation and now uh blake wheeler as well um yeah, I just, I mean, I get the game as conduct. I guess I, I just think at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's kind of pointless to hand him that uh, that game as conduct. But uh, still, kind of silly move on his part. 
I, I don't know. I don't know. If, if you haven't seen it, I would go watch it. It's just kind of one of those things where you're like, man, what was he thinking? But yeah. Um, yeah. Blake Wheeler, obviously frustrated in Winnipeg right now. I mean, uh, it's a good thing that there weren't any fans there. Cause that would have been, I knowing Blake Wheeler, I don't think he would have done it if there were fans there. He probably just would have slammed the puck down the length of the ice. But I think maybe because there were no fans there, this was probably the chance to try and vent it out and, Maybe try and get away with it, but it's not going to fly. I mean, yeah, I, I can understand your frustration, but you know what? Not playing well as of late after, you know, the series that they had uh, taking two or three against Toronto. But, you know, your team is still in a good spot. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen it to fully comment on it, but if if it's at that point where it's the end of the game... It's still an infraction. We've seen them like get uh, hand out penalties after the whistle's blown anyway. So you know what? I if it shouldn't be done, it shouldn't be done. But if everyone is like you know kind of having a laugh about it, then I guess you know it's kind of lighthearted considering that there are no fans there. But just maybe next time, what if fans were there and he did it? Then that would be a whole different scenario, kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I mean, I get the frustration. They're kind of in that log jam that is the North Division right now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, we we are constantly watching the Toronto Maple Leafs, 42 points through 32 games. The Edmonton Oilers are right there tied with them through 34. So the Leafs do have two in hand. And Winnipeg is right there in third place. Yeah. Um, through 31 <laughs> games, have 38 points, a winning or a point percentage of 613. Um, they're not far off. And, and that being said, while they're not far off, they're also only three points up on Vancouver, who sit fifth in the division. E- even though they do have four games in hand on Vancouver, yeah. it does become a scary situation knowing that there's just 15 games left in their season. And with uh, Bubble Demko coming in, I mean, that's that's that in itself is entirely a bit scary right now because he's finding his game right now. And what if that those four games in hand end up costing Winnipeg? What if in a scenario where, you know, Vancouver wins four games and then the Jets literally lose four? You know? That's good. Obviously, it's going to come down to the points percentage. But, man, they're going to be holding their breath if that ever comes down to that. Yeah, let me just make a correction real quick. It's actually, sorry, they have 25 games left in their season, not 15. So, Still a fair amount of time. Obviously, we're only halfway through the year, but, um, you know, those 25 games go quick and every point counts. And we've seen it with the Leafs, who had a commanding lead in the North Division. And now, you know, even though they do have two games in hand, um, you know, their play as of late could easily have them tied with Edmonton uh, when they do catch up in, in terms of games. And I think that's where the Maple Leafs kind of have an advantage right now, because knowing this offense... And knowing that the improved play that they've had compared to last season, this could work out for them in that situation. Obviously, we're not going to dwell on it too too much right now because we're going to save that for our leaf section. But it could work out for them in that in that essence. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, yeah. So I, obviously, a logjam in the north in the north division. I think the mm-hmm. one team we can count out as not going anywhere is the Ottawa Senators at ten, twenty, and yeah. three. Um, but even Calgary, sitting in sixth, 32 games played, 33 points. They are only five points back of Winnipeg for third in the division. They're only four points back of Montreal for um, fourth in the division. So 
Still, playoff hopes lie in Calgary. Obviously, they would have liked to steal two points from the Leafs last night. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, uh, you know, like I said, there's still a lot of hockey left to be played and uh, 24 games for the Calgary Flames left. So it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do down the stretch and if they can kind of bring their dressing room together a little bit more um, from earlier in the year. Um, going off of that, uh, a quick note, Carson Soucy, uh, was suspended at one game for charging. Um, he, uh, he charged Arizona's Connor Garland into the boards pretty, pretty hard. It was, it was a rough hit. Uh, you know, I have no issue with the one game suspension. Um, I think, uh, I think it was well-deserved and we're seeing a little bit more of the suspensions kind of come out now with, with, uh, teams playing, you know, a number of games against each other. I think the rivalries are starting to build a little bit more and we're seeing a lot of that. Um, also, I wanted to quickly note before we jump over to some other news from around the hockey world, uh, Mika Zibanejad, just the second player in the NHL to record six points in a period. Um, unbelievable. This guy is, is you know, ha- coming off obviously a big year last year. Um, and, uh, just, uh, kind of had a slow start this year with the New York Rangers, but I think in part, everybody had a slow start with the New York Rangers. So, um, obviously big for him to come out and gain a little bit of confidence, uh, with six points in a period. Yeah. I mean, that was absolutely impressive. I mean, the most that I've ever had playing in a period or playing hockey was three points. That's it. Three, three points in one period at the most. He had six. And not only that, he did it in a natural hat trick. But his first goal was a shorthanded. Second was a power play marker. And the third was at even strength. That alone makes it that much more impressive. That's like a, a goal in three of the most, you know, played situations in the game. That, that is impressive. I'm just going to say that flat out. I, I mean, huge night for him. Uh, big win for them. I was actually hoping, kind of hoping for double digits. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Nine nothing against them. Six points. Natural Hattie. I mean, he he's one of the underrated. He's becoming more well-known as a goal scorer right now. Probably underrated in that aspect because last season was kind of like his breakout year. And then it was for the New York Rangers, surprising a lot of players or a lot of people with their play. And now it's just getting better for him. Slow start, like you mentioned, but you know what? He's, he's come into his own right now and he's going to be very uh, consistent with his production. Yeah. What's crazy is, uh, I mean, Ottawa traded him back in 2016 uh, after a 51 point campaign in 81 games. And since coming to New York, 14 goals, 27 goals, 30 goals, 41 goals. Um, and, and his point production, 37, 47, 74, 75. 75 points in 57 games last year. Um, yeah, 19 through 30 so far. Uh, he, he was able to get six points in one period while only playing 18 minutes in the game. Um, just uh, Just unbelievable. Uh, obviously a guy that uh, still has a lot left in the tank. And uh, I mean, if you're an Ottawa fan, you got to look back on this trade and wonder what the heck, uh, what the heck management was thinking at the time. But um, yeah, big pickup for the Rangers back in 2016 and he's really worked out. So good for him. Um, And uh, that's, that's quite the, quite the feel for, 
for him to get six points and be one of two players to do so in a period. Um, before jumping over, I want to quickly touch on hits lately in the NHL. Um, obviously, you know, we saw Brandon Tanev's hit on uh, Tenorti throwing him into the boards. It looked like Tenorti was almost knocked out cold yeah. uh, when he went in uh, back first. Um, then we see, obviously, Justin Hall's hit on Johnny Goudreau um, the other night, which led to, to Chuck with yet another Bush League move waiting for Hall to pick up his gloves to start a fight. Like, just, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I really just don't get it. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then from there, um, you know, I think the hits, uh, obviously we saw Lucic hit, uh, Matthews last night hard into the boards after Matthews bumped off another, um, Calgary flame. So the hits seem to be getting a little bit more questionable. Um, that said, when there's a clean hit for me, the Tanev hit and the, the, the hall hit both clean. Um, just from dangerous areas. And, and that's not to say it was on the, the hitter themselves. Yeah. But when you're, when you're four feet out from the boards, it can, it can result in what looks to be a more of a dangerous hit. That said, it's an open ice and, and it's clean. It's a clean hit. They caught the player, you know, coming up and, and maybe not so much with their head down, but just caught their body really well. And, and yeah, hit them. Once they hit the boards, it, it ended up being a bit more of a, the result seemed worse than it was. Um, but that said, both led to like players wanting to fight off of it. And for me, like I get, I get the standing up for your players and I've all, I'll, I will always want to see a player stand up for their, their teammates, but I'm not a fan of the fighting for a clean open ice hit. Yeah. I like for me, Hall caught Goudreau, obviously a smaller player, you know, gave him a good hit, and then to Chuck with his move, you know, coming up and, and challenging Hall, Hall throws his mitts down right away, and to Chuck circles around and then decides to throw his mitts down when Hall's already picking up his gloves, and then his takedown, which is basically a horse collar on that as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just I I thought that whole that whole sequence was a bush league move by to Chuck, and I'm getting more like. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of Chuck's play. Like I watched him play in London. I thought, you know, what guy stirs the pot. He's able to do stuff offensively. He's a talented player, but I'm starting to get more and more frustrated with the way that he's playing the game. And uh, yeah, um, I don't know where to start first. The hitting work of Chuck, because I know that initially when I saw the Tanif hit, obviously it was a clean hit. You know, it was in the chest. And again, a fortunate situation where, you know, it was close to the boards, but it wasn't a head hit. There was no, the head wasn't the main principal point of contact. It was a clean check. But based on another clip that Nick Richards sent me, he's over at Dauber uh, Prospects, as well as I believe TLN Doc. Uh, Sorry if I uh misread your credentials nick i really uh apologize for that i will double check that in a bit but he sent he sent a clip when i was talking with uh brandon um Azoff, our new york rangers writer and brandon Tanev did charge he did take a couple of extra strides clean hit but obviously it was a charge again the even the chris Tanev hit the first hit on austin matthews where you know he gets him in the crest goes into the boards Dangerous, but, you know, that was a clean hit. Lucic, on the other hand, that was a more dangerous hit. That was in the numbers. 
Justin Hall, again, it was on the front of uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Goudreau. Not a dangerous hit itself, but in a situation where it could have been a lot worse because it was so close to the boards and the impact itself. But, yeah, I mean, if if you fight for a clean hit, I mean, I get you, I, again, I'm like you, I get where you want to stand up for your player. But even yourself should know that what is a clean hit and what isn't. And even Lucic, who's had some pretty questionable hits in his career, and I think there's there's like a top 10 list of questionable hits that he's made. He should know what's clean and what's dirty. And I get, you know, the mentality of standing every up for your players. But come on, do it in moderation. Do it in an instance where, you know, honestly, if I was Wayne Simmons, I would have gone after Lucic after that hit from behind on Austin Matthews because that was more of a dangerous because he was totally not expecting that. You're at the front. You see what's going on. But in regards to that Matthew Kachuk thing, yeah, that that was just a joke. I mean, he literally both of them dropped the gloves at the same time. Circles around. Justin Hall's like, well, okay, all right, you don't want to go? Fine, I'll get my gloves. And then he as soon as he picks it up and puts it on, that's when he jumps in. And that's when you know that the type of stuff that Matthew Kachuk does, people have had enough of this crap in the league. And that should be example. I don't know how many examples he's had of it right now. But that is a joke. Like, like you said, that's a that, that's a bush league move, and the takedown itself. Like he grabbed him by the neck, the back of the jersey. Like, come on, man. Like, honestly, I know that a lot of people were, you know, happy when Wayne Simmons knocked Kachuk down. Although that hit on Simmons should not be a penalty. I don't know why he got a hit for or a penalty for finishing his hit. Whatever, I don't care. It is what it is. It's over and done with. But the fact that you know people were saying are actually kind of cheering right now where Matthew Kachuk is getting hit shows that maybe his reputation right now is becoming a joke and people are getting sick and tired of it. Yeah. I, I just, for me, it's, I, we talked about it a few episodes ago, why, you know, he wasn't really stood up for in the whole Muzzin deal. Uh, mm. When Muzzin flicked the puck at him and he went nuts and he went ballistic and, and and I, I'm I'm seeing more and more so as to why that's the case and and you know if if I'm on the Calgary Flames I'm getting frustrated with the whole situation as well um, I just think at the end of the day it's you're starting to think like what the what the hell am I supposed to do when this guy's you know pulling this bush league crap like that so yeah I just I, you know at the end of the day he's gonna do what he's gonna do but um, at a certain point like man like that that to me. If I'm the linesman, why am I not jumping in at that point? Seeing him go after Hall after Hall's already picking up his gloves, like yeah. that's that's not just on to Chuck. That's on that's on the the linesman as well. At that point, you've got a, a player in a vulnerable position, um, not expecting anything, not expecting anything, and all of a sudden he's throwing punches. And on top of that, then all of a sudden you've got um, you know you've got Hall down on the ice, and to Chuck still throws another punch. Yeah. Like the whole point of the, the whole thing with fighting before was that there was a code and it, it with Tchuk, it seems like that codes right out the window. And that's where like I tweeted before the game, like I'm not all for fighting. I love to see a good tilt, but at the end of the day, um, I would, I would have loved to see Simmons go out and challenge to Chuck. Cause I guarantee you, oh, yeah. Chuck would not have stood up for that. I no. guarantee you he would have either turtled or skated away. Mm-hmm. So and we, and technically we saw that when Jake Muzzin, 
threw the puck at him. He tried to act like, you know, he was being held back, but you know, he, he wasn't going out there much because he knew that. And you even saw, yeah. And you even saw that during the play in yes, in uh, the Saturday night game where, him and Muzzin have been going at it all night, and Muzzin got the best of him quite a bit. So I'm at the point now where, you know what? It is whatever Kachuk is going to do, I'm not going to be shocked because he, he it's something that Kachuk would do. It's going to be in a point where he's going to have the advantage and his opponent is going to have the lesser advantage like he did with Justin Hall. He wants to come out on top, and that's great, but at the same time, Level the playing field. And I could guarantee that if that was Wayne Simmons or if that was even Scott Sabrin, he would have lost. And I think a lot of people would like to would have liked to have seen Scott Sabrin come in for that game just to, you know, send a message to Kachuk that, hey, you know what? Cut the crap out. It, and I'll, I'm just going to throw this out there. Is it weird that I that Kachuk... Sorry, I'm going to try and word this properly. Is it weird that I'm becoming more of a fan of Brad Marchand, who has been a noted, hated player for the past couple of years, than Matthew Kachuk right now? Not at all. Not at all. And okay. I saw a tweet out there last <laughs> night that is Kachuk becoming the new Brad Marchand as the most punchable player in the league. He's and becoming worse than Marchand. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, yeah. I, yeah, I, like I said, I, um, I'm at a point now where, like, I would love. I'm. I'm with you. I'd love to see Scott Sabrin come in the next time they play Calgary and just absolutely, you know, just spend your spend your time on the ice going after this guy. Teach him. A, teach him a mess or send him a message. And the same with same with Lucic. Like back in the day, if you went after a star player, you had a guy on the ice protecting that star player, going, mm-hmm. "Hey, you want to go after my star player? I'm going after yours." And yeah. that was why you didn't see guys go after Gretzky. You didn't see guys. I mean, obviously there was there was the odd one who did, but. It, it turned it into a, a you know a big big time tilt. Yeah, and and you know what I I think it's the end again. I'm with you on fighting. You shouldn't be doing it on a constant basis, like you know, like you see in the movie Goon, where like every single you know face off, there's a fight, right? In those two movies, it, it was all highlighting fighting, right? But fight in moderation. Fight when it's when it's appropriate to fight. Fight when you know when there's a reason to. If like, let's face it, I'm almost a hundred percent certain that if Wayne Simmons was put on the next shift, if Matthews what was went down that uh, went down the tunnel to the dressing room after that Lucci shit, I would. I am a hundred percent certain Keith would have put Simmons on, and Simmons would have fought Lucci at that point. That isn't that is a call to say, okay, you want to do that kind of play? Okay, fine. You have to answer the call. Yeah, no, hundred percent. In the essence of like, you know, hits like the Tanevs, both Chris and Brandon, they are clean. Again. It's and I, I guess at this point now we're gonna go around in circle where, you know, what's 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 a fightable situation? Was that Justin Hall and Kachuk fight a fightable situation? I don't think so. I think Chuck just wanted to send a message and try and prove that he's better than somebody else. To be frank, he's not because let's face it. I think that, and you know what? He has one goal in the series against, you know, the Maple Leafs or he scored in that uh, floater that, you know, Craig, that it went off Dermot and Craig Anderson let in. 
but honestly, Kachuk has maybe he like his production has fallen down to earth, and maybe now, I, honestly, I still think that that puck flip from Jake Muzzin, he's still not over it, and nice. this series has just proved it. Yeah, no, absolutely, I couldn't agree more, and I just I, I want to get on that because there's been a few big hits uh, over the past week, and. And I do believe that, you know, some of them do look a little worse than they were because of the result. Um, like yeah. I said, that that four foot, four feet out from the from the uh, from the boards can can make it look a lot more dangerous than it is. And and unfortunately, sometimes you have the result like Tenorti going in the way that he did. Uh, obviously, Goudreau was OK when he got up. Uh, but, you know, he went in kind of funny as well. But it's just it's one of those things where it's an open ice hit in the game so fast now that. When you get hit that hard, it, it it can turn out to be you know worse than it worse than it actually is. But um, regardless, I I do sure. want to jump over quickly to the NWHL. Um, there was some speculation over the past week um, that the NWHL could be expanding to Montreal for its seventh season. Um, obviously, later this month, the NWHL will get their Isabel Cup tournament back underway, um, and uh, Toronto, the Toronto Six, will be a huge participant in that as they were coming off some pretty crazy uh games um in the in the first half of the tournament that was being held in lake placid um that said uh again it'll be interesting to see what the nwhl decides to do expansion would be great for the league i think it would be great for hockey and it, and especially if you can expand to another canadian city i think it's just um all the better for you um uh, in terms of trying to grow that uh, that side of the game as well so Big news for the NWHL. Definitely. Also returning to the ice, the OHL is expected to have an announcement set at the end of this month, um, according to the Ontario Health Minister. Uh, obviously, we last episode, we did have um, Andrew Parrott on to discuss the ongoing, I guess, battle from the player's end to try and get the OHL underway. Uh, especially mm-hmm. for those overagers who would like to finish their OHL careers. Um, he said, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many games that they play. It looks like it could be a 20-game season. The fact is they just want to get back on the ice with their teammates and, uh, you know, just enjoy the rest of the year. So with that said, the OHL could be back underway Um Hopefully in the next little while, if you haven't listened to that episode with Andrew Parrott, I highly recommend it. It was a great yes. interview. The kids mm-hmm. playing over in Slovakia right now, having a time and uh, just, yeah, great, uh, great kid down to earth and uh, really enjoyed that, uh, that interview. Other leagues around the, uh, around the world right now. Um, I shouldn't say around the world, around North America right now, Connor <laughs> Bedard having an absolute incredible start to his WHL career and Carson Lambos injured. What are you mm-hmm. taking from both of these as a prospect writer over at the Hockey Writers? I mean, I'm a little bit not. To, I'm not going to say disappointed, but I'm concerned is, is the right word because I absolutely love Carson Lambos, and he had a good start over when he got when he made the trip over um, uh, early on uh, the 2020-21 season to play over with um in finland i believe it was a jyp but i'm I'm curious to know what the extent is because he's already dropped in the rankings he had a strong start but his play sort of dipped right after that where 
not necessarily he didn't find his footing. He did, but at the same time, it just the consistency wasn't there. And yes, it was a JYP under twenty. Um, had eleven points in thirteen games. I guess this maybe the consistency consistency factor wasn't quite all there. But now being injured, you already fell in this in the rankings. I'm thinking maybe. I hope this isn't ideal because I think he's still worth a top 15 pick in this draft. But this could be a Timothy Lilligren situation, you know, high end prospect to a uh, potential top 10. I know Lilligren was top two, but he was somewhere in between that two to five range. And now he's going to fall down as a result of an injury with his play last year. And early on this year, I hope a team can say, okay, you know what? We're comfortable with his level of play and we're comfortable with him, you know, with his, that he's going to develop properly. They're going to take a chance on him. Great. Um, It's just a big question mark right now for him. And I just hope that it's not for the wrong reasons because he is a damn good prospect. He is a solid two-way guy with, you know, he can play a bit of an edge. He can be aggressive, especially along the boards, battling for pucks. And that's what teams like nowadays. Um. In terms of Connor Bedard, I was about to say Connor McDavid for a second, but then again, with the way that he's playing, might as well, right? I mean, yeah. rem- remember that name, folks. I mean, he's in a battle for the 2023 first overall pick, along with Matt Bay Mitchkov. And I know I said this before, um, Cam Robinson from over at Elite Prospects. Now he posted out a video before of the two players and some of their highlights. And man, they are absolutely killing it right now. 15 years old for Connor Bedard, or he's 15 years old. Two point per game average, four goals and eight points. Um, I mean, let's face it. He was a point per game. I mean, he's really good. Also a point per game player in the J20 league with HV 71. He's got it all. I mean, he is a phenom. He is the next generational talent. And... And again, you probably shouldn't jump the gun and be like, oh, okay, well, you know what? There's not going to be another generational talent because Connor McDavid is one. Um, Connor McDavid is playing like a generational talent right now. So at this point right now, I don't want to go two years ahead, but Connor Bedard is my first overall pick at this point. And Matthew Mitchkov is a close second, but with the way that Bedard has jumped out, with his play and just already dominating the WHL at 15 years old, he's already at the top for me. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And I think he's had a hell of a start over there uh, in the WHL, um, obviously exceptional status. And uh, anytime a player gets exceptional status in any of these leagues, we like to uh, keep a close, close eye on them uh, to see how well they, uh, they cross over. They could um, in be term- good. Yeah, yeah, they could be, they could be <laughs> all right. Uh, in terms of in terms of uh, Carson Lambos, um, I agree with you. I think he's still for me. I, I think he's a top ten pick. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think the injury is going to play a little bit of a role, and uh, we could see him drop slightly just because you know obviously with with the the times the way they are, you've already had a small sample size uh, for what these kids can do, and. Um, you know, I think I think this just hurts a little bit more. That said, I think wherever he goes, he's going to end up being a, a pretty big steal in terms of what he's able to bring to the NHL level. Um, he's he's built well for the, for for the uh, the the jump to the NHL, and uh, I think you know if he drops outside the uh, the top ten, which I don't see happening um, because of this injury, I think 
you know, any team's going to be so, so lucky to get their hands on this kid. So uh, hopefully, hopefully the injury won't play too much of a, of a role, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, Quick correction. I didn't mean to jump in, but quick correction on Connor Bedard. He has nine points now, five goals, four assists, just under a point, uh, under two points per game, but still phenomenal nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I just unbelievable play. And if you, if you've seen any of the video on this kid, like, um, man, his hands are so silky, uh, so, so silky. Just, yeah, take it, take a quick gander on Twitter or something, but, uh, it's just incredible to watch this kid move around the ice. Is it bad for me to already say that he has just as good enough hands as Connor McDavid? Because I'm no. getting that kind of vibe with the way that he just handles the puck. It's just he never makes a mistake with it. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I think, uh, I mean, he's able to make the plays at high speeds as well, which is mm-hmm. one of the big things that people say about Connor McDavid is that not only is he one of the fastest skaters, and I say one of the fastest skaters because we all saw who beat him. Uh, in a foot race recently. Um, but no, he's, he's, he's able to make those plays at, at top speed. And that's what makes, that's what sets him apart from everybody else. And I think that's, I think Bedard, the the reason he got exceptional status is because he's able to make those plays at high speeds and, and that's what makes him so special. So um, it'll, it'll be crazy to watch this kid grow, especially over the next couple of years until he's drafted in 2023. But yeah, I would say uh, him and Mitchkov right now are battling one too. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch the both of them, um, you know, make names for themselves as they continue to uh, to impress in their respective leagues. Obviously, with, he needs to improve on his skating. But the, the sports, I just saw this tweet of sports that with his uh, fifth goal and the puck comes to him right away at the blue line, and I don't know why the defenders cut to the outside, but he had a clear breakaway and his shot was perfectly paced, placed, generated enough speed to get past it. But I think that's one, maybe one slight improvement. He's already obviously a good stride, but man, he just broke, he broke away fairly quickly and it looked like it was effortless. Like he was just like skating normally and not like Connor McDavid's speed, but his stride pushed him off so, so quick that it, spread out the gap between the defenders. So I would go watch that uh, fifth goal tweet posted by Sportsnet. Yeah, yeah, I know, 100%. And uh, with that, I'd like to send it over to our guest. We didn't mention him earlier on, mm-hmm. but we have our hat trick from the Hockey News. We have Maple Leafs beat writer David Alter. Let's send it off to him right now. <laughs> Folks, we are happy to have our guest with us today to talk everything Maple Leafs right now. He's worked at many, many media outlets, including The Score, The National Post, The Athletic, TSN, and currently right now, he is the Maple Leafs reporter for the Hockey News. We are absolutely thrilled to have David Alter join with us today. David, thank you for taking the time and joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure. I, again, we, I, we can't thank you enough, especially with, you know, the scheduling and everything like that. But I just want to talk on before we get into everything. You've had a long and sex, uh, successful career in the sports media industry with all these outlets. Um, how has this journey been for you so far? And what is it like to work at uh, all these big name outlets? Well, I mean, it is it is great on the face of it. Um, I'm I'm very, very grateful for the experiences that I've had. And, um, and I'm glad to be back doing this. 
Uh, it hasn't been easy. A lot of the movement is because of the shape of our industry. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've I've had contracts not renewed, laid off, like whatever you can have thrown at you, I've had it. But I've always had that desire to, to come back on the beat and use my years of experience with it as well as my my tech skills and my other ways of presenting things to the forefront. So uh, I'm very grateful to the Hockey News for giving me that platform to be back on the Daily V um, covering the Maple Leafs again. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, it, it, it's great to be back, but, you know, when you lose a gig, you don't know if you're ever going to come back again. So uh, it's kind of funny because the pandemic has kind of made people feel like that, even if they haven't gone through this kind of adversity in their life. It's kind of the first time everyone's kind of had to go through something together. And so to come back on the face of it during this time has been uh, especially humbling. So so I'm really grateful for that and and to be able to tell stories again and use my expertise in that regard. And 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 in this kind of situation where fans can't be there and uh, try and I try to bring people in a little bit more. So I'm really trying to bring that because because people can't really enjoy the team the way they used to. So so there's some of that responsibility that goes with it as well. And you've done a fantastic job on the beat scene, covering the Maple Leafs throughout your career, and even right now, especially during the pandemic. And speaking of which, I guess we'll get right into it with all the Leafs talk. And the biggest news this week was Kyle Dubas's press conference uh, midseason, trying to put a positive spin on things heading into the deadline. And... The biggest news that everyone took by storm was the fact that he is willing to give up a top prospect to acquire rental help or even a player like Raquel or Philip Forsberg. Um, what was your immediate reaction to that? And do you have any insight as to who that prospect could possibly be? I don't have insight as to who the prospect may be. I do think there are a couple of not untouchables, but guys who, unless they're getting something long term that could be like, part of a hockey trade there are a couple guys that I don't think they would want to shop but I think when Kyle said that I think that was his way of spreading the message to some of his trade counterparts that he's ready to make a move and I think there's been some frustration just given the parameters of everything of the 14-day quarantine and and some of the other things that that are complicating things with like the flat cap that he wants to to, to get things done sooner rather than later instead of just waiting till the very end at that deadline, which everything's been truncated with this 56-game season. So the more you have to wait, the more you lose on that opportunity to kind of use whatever change you may make to your disposal. So um, it didn't surprise me that much because I think that was more so just letting everyone across the league know with an emphatic message that he's ready to make a move. I, I don't think when he said yes, to if he'd be willing to make a move to a rental move being the most likely situation that makes sense. I don't think those two are, are necessarily one and the same. I think they could be mutually exclusive as well. So I think a lot of people took those two things and added them up as those things being together as part of some magical Venn diagram for the Leafs to win now. But I think I think they, they could be mutually exclusive as well. And so that's why... That's why when he made that message, I wasn't really surprised. I think a lot of using your media platform is a way of kind of showing your sincerity and 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 making a statement that you're ready to make a move. And I think that was just his way of doing that. One of the biggest things that came out of that press conference was 
Um, the fact that one, he's willing to trade a top prospect, but he also doesn't want to really defer the future of the, of the Leafs, um, team as a whole to, you know, push back the success They he wants to make them a, a, uh, perennial, uh, contender. Um, but in some ways is that a little bit contradicting or is the, is the depth of the, of the Leafs prospect pool that good? Well, I mean, they do have a. They do have a good prospect pool, but I don't think it's contradicting when you look to the fact that their core players are there for a few more years. Like, yeah, this is a, a unique situation where they're playing only Canadian teams, so maybe their path to the semifinals and then you never know what could happen beyond that kind of makes it look like this should be the year. But uh, I, I think they they can't mortgage everything for just one season either, and they're not going to. They, they need to have pieces that can be in place for future years. They have the expansion draft and all kinds of economic uncertainty to deal with for the next couple of years with what pertains to what the salary cap is going to look like. So I think that message wasn't really a surprise. And when you look at things, when, when they signed up for this all or nothing documentary uh, with Amazon, uh, the, the, the title suggested that they were that that was the case for them for that year when it wasn't like that the the message of that documentary and what they're trying to do are very different so yeah this they've never been primed set up to to make a run this year but look they have a lot of things they have to factor in beyond this year as well which is kind of why i was trying to figure out what was going to happen with guys like zach hyman and how you kind of factor in pieces for the following years because the salary cap is going to be the same next year and maybe even the year after that, despite what other revenues might come in. So I think they, they have their core pretty much locked up that um, there's not really a lot you can do and find teams with other with space in the cap to really do some damage to, to go all in for this year and leave nothing in the cupboard for the subsequent years. It's been a while since, you know, the Leafs have been in buyer mode. And I I mean, we've seen the deal to improve the roster with Jake Muzzin and Jack Campbell over the previous years. But this is this is has like kind of a whole new feel to it. How confident is Dubas right now trying to make the a big move like this and knowing how to juggle the cap, um, his asset management, his contracts all in one, not necessarily one sitting, but all into one factor right now? Look, I think the Leafs have always been confident in their ability to maneuver around the salary cap because the assistant general manager is the guy who used to have to deal with the salary cap mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis in Brandon Pridiman, and you would get the request from every team about what they can and can't do. So there's no one who knows the cap better than than him, and maybe arguably the people who work in in uh, the central office right now. So So you take those into account, and you look at what can be done, what can't be done, uh, what the Leafs have kind of done with going back into previous years, like training a problem contract in David Clarkson uh, for LTIR space and Nathan Horton, who never played a game for the Maple Leafs, and a lot of the other things that they can kind of magically do within the calculations and the calculus of the salary cap. So um, one of the things brought up yesterday was the fact that the Leafs were a third party in retaining space to make some sort of move in the Robin Leonard deal that saw him go to Vegas. And now Chicago's made it known that they have LTI space and 
can be the third party that maybe the Leafs might need in order to make some moves like that. So I would expect if the Leafs are going to add bodies, that there is going to be some sort of weird way to do it from a from a cap standpoint. But um, they're they're stuck right now. They don't have long term injured contracts right now, except for Simmons is going to come off, and then it's about accruing daily cap space. And if they can't get LTI contracts with their LTI space, I know I'm going way into a deep tangent on numbers, and it might be hard to follow, uh, but. If they do that, then there's there's going to be all kinds of money in, money out problems when it comes to adding big contracts. So to answer your question in a really long-winded way, <laughs> I don't think this feels I don't think this feels too much different. If anything, I think short term and rentals is very similar. Is it may be less of an impact as to what they've done in the past because they gave up more assets to get guys who had term left. And with the expansion draft, it's even less desirable to take guys who have term left that they would have to protect or leave exposed. And then it becomes even more of a rental situation. So so you're really going to see a limitation as to what the Leafs can do. But they'll find a way where it looks ridiculous on the on the press release of it. And then you'll see guys like me and other people with analysis of here's why and how they were allowed to do X and because of Y. I'm glad you kind of went into that long-winded answer because one of the moves or one of the things with this crazy season is constant moves to the taxi squad, constant players being put on waivers. And we saw that uh, obviously yesterday with uh, Jimmy VC being uh, placed on waivers and Vancouver picking him up. Um, and that kind of opens up the, the, the opportunity for a guy like Alex Galchenyuk to get into the, uh, into the, uh, the, the roster um, and, and you tweeted out earlier today that Galchenyuk was uh, participating in practice at a top six, in a top six spot. Is this a guy that we're going to see more of going forward, um, especially with a guy like Simmons coming back? Who's the odd man out in that situation? Well, based on, well, DC was the odd man out and then he got claimed by waivers. So that was the easy one. The other one was uh, Travis Boyd. Travis Boyd skated as an extra and he had been kind of the everyday fourth line center in that spot. So when they moved Galchenyuk to the second line for practice today, they moved Hyman down to the third line, which he had been on before with Mikheyev. But instead of Engvall being the third line center, they had a surplus up there with Kerfoot. So Kerfoot, Kerfoot was the third line center and Engvall moved down to the fourth line, pushing Boyd out. So that's the way it looked, but as Sheldon Keefe said following practice and what Wayne Simmons kind of hammered the point home about was that he's not necessarily sure he's going to be 100% being that it's his first time back with a full practice. So he wants to make sure the wrist feels really good after a fracture, that it can do everything and he's just not out there just to be a body and hampering an opportunity that someone could be more effective in that spot. So there's that to deal with. And with Galchenyuk, uh, it, it could be one of those things where they've seen enough in video in terms of how he was with the Marlies, how he was with uh, the developmental staff working on his edges, working on some of the things that haven't worked out for him in the past in the last couple of seasons in the NHL, that they feel that he's corrected those things and they, they shield him into that spot with guys like John Tavares, who, who actually said, yeah, it's kind of my 
kind of my role as a captain to, you know, kind of make these guys feel comfortable in that spot. So, so that, that could help there. But one thing we should also remember is BC started the season in that role too, and it didn't work out. So the second line is kind of the second line winger spots can kind of be interchangeable, but they're definitely hoping that Galchenyuk has corrected some things that he can ease his way into starting to become the player that he had been drafted to be and that he was for the first couple of seasons in his career. And just touching up on Galchenyuk a little bit, but his play with the Toronto Marlies has been absolutely phenomenal since getting the first looks and he's improved every single game. And just as we head into this uh, mini break or that we're in right now and they get prepared for the Calgary Flames, it was a rough stretch, a couple poor defensive efforts against the Jets as well as Ottawa Senators. The team looked fatigued and just they needed this break. They needed a chance to regroup, reset, and then get back to what made them successful before. What is the outlook or the mindset of the players during this uh, time off that they could utilize to prefer, uh, prepare for themselves in the future? Yeah, I mean, like, they're definitely trying to get their rest in. Um, the the losing streak, they didn't want to admit it, but it, is, it was fatiguing. I did the same travel, not not exactly the same as them, but you go through the West twice and you come back. It, it it took a its toll. They started doing some things practice-wise to kind of help with recovery by having practices much later than they were used to having. Like I remember it would always be 12 after games in travel and 11 o'clock not after games in the morning. And then it, it started to become 1 o'clock and 1 o'clock and then 12.30. And today was 12.15 and they're they're still kind of cycling back from that. And when they were out west, just to get used to that time change, they're practicing local time at two o'clock in in the mountain time, four o'clock Eastern. It was it, it's it's not an easy thing. It's it's tough to travel even in any walk of life, but to do it and to perform at a maximum has got to be a challenge. And the Leafs schedule was very home heavy to start. There was one trip out west, but that was it. Now there's going to be a lot more of these, but. They also have their longest stretch of breaks now, where they only had one of these kind of breaks earlier. Every week, there seems to be a team that has four or five days off in the North Division because of the odd number of teams in that division. So the Leafs have, what, four days? They had uh, five days between games, and they have another five-game stretch. After Friday and Saturday, they're off again until Thursday. So, So they... They should be well rested to kind of get everything there and getting some bodies back and and uh, there there really won't be excuses. Uh, I thought in that losing stretch, there really was only one and a half games where the team didn't look great. And then the rest of it was just getting burned on transition and goaltending, not necessarily making the ten beller save that you expect in that situation. Like not terrible, but not not lights out, like not playing better than the goalie on the other side. And those were the two, those were the two factors. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's hard to get too down on the Leafs when there were only one and a half games like that, in my estimation, where they didn't look particularly good. And I mean, yeah, everyone likes to look back on previous years and, oh, here we go again. And so Leafs Twitter really gets charged up when they see things 
<laughs> and uh, it, it just seems to be a downward spiral. But uh, if everyone just calms down and looks at things on a daily basis, it, generally these things add up to where they are. And their early success has helped them maintain their lead in the North, at least for now. You mentioned goaltending, and there's been a lot of love for Anderson over the over the past few years, and there's been a lot of hate uh, going Anderson's way as well over the last few years. And especially, uh, you know, it seems a couple, couple bad games where he gives up a goal or two that maybe he would want back, and all of a sudden, Leafs Twitter blows up. Um, he's he's coming to the end of his, uh, his contract. Is it believable to think that the Leafs would pass on Anderson and maybe look to Jack Campbell as a guy to, to start next season? Or are they going to be looking for a legitimate starter, um, whether it be Anderson or somebody else uh, this offseason? I'm actually not sure they know that yet. And the problem with that was, uh, look, Anderson's given them some good games over the last five years. And uh, one of the things that attracted the Leafs to Anderson when he was available in that trade with Anaheim was that positionally he was one of the better goalies out there. And even then when he lets in a bad goal, it's uh, it's not because he's out of position. Like if you look at other goalies around the league, he you generally don't see, you see, oh, he may have liked that one back or they went high when they went low. But from a positional standpoint, from where he's got to be, facing the shooter and a lot of the things that people look for with head trajectory and, and a lot of the analytics of goaltending, he's, he's right up there. So, so they, they like that element. Does he outperform the goalie on the other side more often than not? That's the tough thing. The Leafs don't play that brand of hockey anymore where, where he's got to be that goaltender. And so uh, it, it's a weird spot. And now with, when they were heading into the season, I truly believe that, Jack Campbell was expected to get way more starts. You were going to see a higher percentage of games for the backup than any of Anderson's previous four seasons with the club. And then injuries killed those plans. And so they don't really have the sample size to know exactly what they have with Jack, uh, with Jack Campbell, even though he's, he's played really well in the three starts that he's made. And at the same time, you look at the goalie market with the flat cap with what happened last some, I want to say summer, but it's really October. Uh, the timeline with everything is all messed up with the pandemic. But um, uh, when you look at another flat cap, other areas of need, the Leafs need to address. I don't think they can spend a whole lot on another goaltender. And I don't think Anderson's necessarily going to fetch more than the $5 million per year that he got over these past five years. Just given, you look at what Jordan Bennington got, for a long-term contract. So the goalie market is, is the one that's going to be one of the biggest ones to struggle in this flat cap world. And so it could be another Braden Holtby, like one or two years going with Anderson again, just because I'm not quite sure what Anderson could get out there in the open market. And I'm not sure what the Leafs can find that fill that spot with the amount of cap space that they're going to have available. I just want to jump ship back over to Alex Galchenia for a second because he's been an acclimate or reclamation project that the Maple Leafs really wanted to. They saw something in him, which is why they brought him in from the trade, sent him down to the Marlies, get him back into game shape. And you tweeted out that um, Galchenyuk said that the Toronto staff has really benefited him in every single way possible. 
And Keith has been impressed uh, with how he's handled himself uh, when you tweeted that out, that the organization has put a lot of time into him and he's received it well. Yeah. Based on his performance with the Marlies, I mean, I, I like I mentioned before, like I was really astonished at how well he adapted. Granted, it was at a lower level, but he did not look out of place at all. And he seemed like his stride was a little bit better. He looked more engaged and aggressive on the forecheck. What are your expectations of, uh, of Galchenyo going forward? See, I'm not sure because, yeah, everything with the Marlies looked great, but everyone I talked to from a development standpoint has said that one of the biggest issues with Galchenyuk and why the transition's been so tough is his edges, his -hmm. ability at the NHL level to play the way you need to in terms of pivoting and directional things, like the kind of ways you move around on your skates that, you know, he didn't necessarily have to deal with at the junior level. And was kind of insulated from in his first couple of years in the NHL where he had that production. So I don't think you're going to see a completely rebuilt Galchenyuk, but I think you're going to see someone that's going to be responsible in that regard because they probably told him, hey, watch your positioning when it comes to things on the other end. But then when it comes to finish and and those other things, we'll, we'll make sure you're there. So they didn't really work on the power play today, but if he does play, I think he'll get some power play time. Like that, that seems to make the most sense there. Um, and and I think they'll just really insulate him to be a winger that that maybe he's F one and they have the system where if he does pitch in or he does come back, that he doesn't necessarily have to be the forward that skates all the way back as the other D pinch in. That's the stuff that he kind of struggled with, but. If he's already showing an acclimation to that with the Marlies, maybe the transition will be simple. But the edges is the number one thing. His ability to move on his skates and, and get across at that NHL level has been the challenge for him. And so I think I think that's what we're going to find out. Uh, I don't I'm not necessarily worried that they're overhyping the situation. I thought I kind of thought maybe they'd ease into him and have him on the third line. They may still do that. Um, and keep caution that what we saw with the lines won't necessarily be what happens, but they have to wait for bodies and who else and whatever comes back. But I think they're going to try and insulate him as best they can to help him grow his confidence. Because, look, Nylander kind of had the same knocks for the way he played from a other side of the ice, and they're going to have him there on that same line. So that's going to be a lot of responsibility for the center position for someone like John Tavares to kind of control. So when I saw that, I also thought, okay, well, let's see how this plays out because we've seen stories all the time of AHL, NHL not being the same thing in terms of the way you move across the ice. So it'll be interesting. Let's put it that way. Matthews. Um, I, I, I don't think there's anybody out there who doesn't know that Matthews is dealing with a uh, wrist injury right now. Um, but after seeing that overtime goal against Winnipeg uh, and a lot of that move coming from wrist action, how scary can Matthews be once he's 100 percent? Well, I think you saw it early in the season, even though he had been kind of dealing with something all season long. He's just been so dangerous in that spot. Like, he, he is truly elite and probably wins the goal-scoring race this season, provided he stays healthy. So, um, yeah, the sky is kind of the limit for someone like Matthews. And, and uh, at year number five of his NHL career, 
it's good to kind of see the maturation in his game. He kind of never let it get to his head. He kind of acknowledged that, you know, there were more things that he can do when it comes to off-season preparation and adding muscle mass and becoming more of an all-around player and becoming a guy who plays the whole 200-foot game. So saying all those and doing all those right things and still being able to score at that clip is incredibly promising for what Matthews is going to provide from a multi-year, multi-production standpoint. So, um, yeah, it's really good for them in that regard. Um, I, I just wonder where this team is in a few years when he signed that contract that only had one year of unrestricted free agency protected. So um, that'll be interesting in a few years from now in terms of what the priorities are, where this team is, what the cap situation looks like if the Leafs have been able to bolster around them. But um, Justin Cuthbert, as sports put it on Twitter um, earlier today, and saying that someone like Jimmy VC is, is, is the only miss that the Leafs had really in terms of offseason moves from a minimal cap spend standpoint. And he got picked up by Vancouver right away. And it kind of speaks to how well they're able to recruit even under these tight parameters. So as long as they continue to do that and become a team where they can attract these guys to come in at discounts, then Matthews is always just going to have extra skills, extra players, whether it be Thornton this year or whoever it might be next year. There's always just going to be different guys that are going to be at his disposal that are just going to allow him to continue to put up goals. From a, from a media standpoint, um, how, I mean, obviously this season has been a little different in how you, how you are asking questions. There's not really scrums per se, but dealing with a guy like uh, Joe Thornton, what's that been like for you? Well, I mean, it's pleasant. It's you're right. It's, it's a real challenge. This is a year where you really can't have one-on-one conversations with guys like that in the room where it used to always be the case. And you can kind of, you know, if you're not necessarily chasing a story, just saying, Hey, how are you? How you doing? What's going on? And there really isn't a lot of room for that this year. So um, it's tough, but I mean, he, he, he gets it. He's always got, he's always got a smile on his face and, you know, he's interjecting with the media when they do ask questions on Skype being like, Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Or, or, or asking questions back as reporters like, who's, who's got this. And, and um, yeah, like, I mean, you can see it, like you can see the positive effect he's had and the the whole thing with all the nicknames that he comes up with and and people gravitating to it right away the fact that he's able to get everyone's guard down and bring smiles in the room and keep the mood light that's the thing the Leafs really didn't have the last couple of years like they really didn't so when things would go down they would feel they would not I wouldn't say they would catastrophize things but they really didn't have the same kind of person in the room to kind of lighten things up and you know just change the subject or keep people upbeat and now they've got guys like that and Thornton and Simmons and very vocal active guys that just keep the mood up and um, I mean we see it to some degree I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about it uh, when the season ends and that Amazon special comes out Um, but you do your best as media to kind of see things even at practices like why I've been going on the road to watch practices is just to kind of see these things and, you know, put the mental reps in my head of what I'm seeing in terms of interactions with guys and whatnot. And 
You know, guys like Zach Bogosian even teaching someone like Travis Dermott how to fight a day after he got into that fight with Josh Archibald. Like, things like that, just to that, that, that bring out Levin. You, know, you just don't see that. Like, it's that just shows to... It goes to show you the uh, the respect that some of the younger guys have for these veterans that have been brought in. Well, David, uh, I just want to thank you again for coming on. We don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, you, as Peter mentioned in uh, prior to this, prior to us hitting the record button here, you are our trifecta for the hockey news, and we appreciate uh, you know take you taking yes. the time out of your day for coming on and just uh, you know giving us a little bit of the inside scoop on our Toronto Maple Leafs. Absolutely, have me on anytime. We appreciate that, and uh, stay safe, and good luck with the rest of the season. We hope to get you back on. Absolutely. Cheers. Well, Peter, we obviously did that uh, that interview a little bit midweek uh, following the Dubis press conference, and uh, David was, uh, you know, kind enough to come on and share a lot of his his inside information with us. Uh, but a lot to say about the Maple Leafs right now, um, as we mentioned earlier in the show. Two and six in their last eight games, not much better than the thirteen losses in a row for the um, for the Buffalo Sabers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, some some changes coming to the Leafs lineup. I don't think there's any any indication of who's on their way out, but we uh, we should expect the Leafs to be kind of uh, kind of interested in making moves as we as we head towards the April deadline. Yeah, and he gave a lot of great information because he was, um, you know, at those Zoom meetings, uh, being involved with the press conference. But I, that Dubas press conference, man, I mean, yeah, the team was in a little bit of a funk, one in six or one in five, I, I believe, during that stretch. And then they went one in six, now two in six since. Dubas is trying to portray an optimistic pitcher right now, and he has ever since that three nothing sweep against the Edmonton Oilers. And obviously, the big news is trying to go for help and get acquire help from the top six. Um, he said that he is willing to deal a top prospect in the process, and the only one that has been rumored to be sort of untouchable is Rasmus Sandin. And, you know, we like Rasmus Sandin at this point, especially here at Sticks in the Six. Um, I put out a poll to see who fans would be willing to move on from the other three prospects that the Maple Leafs have in the system. And I am kind of shocked at the results. Well, not necessarily shocked, but in my opinion, I am shocked. Um, with... Sandine being possibly the untouchable, I mentioned Timothy Lilligren, Nick Robertson, and Rodin Namirov as possible options that could be dealt. Over 200, just over 260 people voted. I'm going to start off with the lowest to highest. Well, I, I, I'm going to ask you first. Who do you think came out on top in that poll? As as one of the most untouchables or the most likely to move? Most likely to move because Rasmus Sandin is being classified as untouchable. So that leaves the three prospects in Lilligren, Robertson, and Amirov. I'm going with uh, Robertson. Interesting. Robertson came in at 16%. Rodin and Amirov, 32%. Meaning that fit Timothy Lilligren, over half of the people that voted, voted him as a prospect to move. Um... I want to get your take first on that because I, I, I'm, 
I have a lot to say about that. For me, I think uh, it's tough because Lilligren fell to us in his draft. He was supposed to be higher, taken higher than he was. And I think a lot of people look at that as like, yeah, maybe he doesn't have the potential that, uh, you know, was once thought um, to be part of his his game. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I think right now the biggest thing is he falls behind Sandine. And, and not because he's not talented enough to be there. I just think people are talking more about Sandine because he – He's he's had a little bit more time at, at the NHL level, and he's, you know, I guess one of those guys that you know has just has just been talked about more. So Lilligren kind of falls in behind that, and and because of that, you know, you know how Leafs Nation is; they're so quick yeah. to jump on things like that that they forget <laughs> to look at how his game is, how he's mm-hmm. played at the HL level, how he's helped the Marlies not just on the offensive side, but what he's been able to do in the two hundred foot game, and. I think people are so quick to jump on that, that, you know, obviously he's going to be the first one that they throw out there in that because nobody wants to see Robertson go right now. Everyone wants to kind of see what uh, um, Rodian Amarov is able to do before he gets to the NHL level. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Sandine was already named as a potential uh, untouchable. So I think that's kind of the guy that people focus in on as 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 a guy that could be made part of a bigger deal and, uh, you know, bring back what the Leafs are, are looking for. Yeah. Uh, you exactly nailed it on the head and that's where I wanted to like touch up on. I mean, okay. Every, like this was a vote. Obviously everyone is entitled to their opinion, you know, that's fine. That's what, that's what that was for. I just wanted to gain, gain, gain an interest to see what, what fans thought. But to me, what have the Maple Leafs been lacking or wanted to add for so long in the past few years? A strong right-handed defenseman. Strong right-handed defenseman. There you go. Lilligren's a right-handed defenseman. He has improved his defensive play since being drafted. And I remember, I, I believe um, early on, that was like he was known for his like puck handling, uh, puck movement, rushing abilities with his skating. That wasn't out of the. That wasn't the question. It was more his play away from the puck. He's improved to that in the last four years. Breaking plays up. He still has his great. He still has his mobility. He's had. He's added more strength where he's able to battle constantly and come out with the puck on top and get that uh, and get the play moving going the other way in transition. They have something like that in their heads. They have a. a a developed prospect that can be a steady two-way player. And now you want to move on away from that. I, I, and again, it's, and it's like you said, it's like, yeah, they see him as still in the AHL prospect and yeah, he's still in the AHL, but let's face it. He came over when he was 18. He's now 21. This is now in his fourth year. So let's face it in terms of his progression and his development, I think it's on point. Get he got uh, some action last year, eleven games, and he recorded his first point and assist. That's what you want to see. You want to see that if he's able to be capable of playing at that level, he was. But there were some things that even he wasn't impressed with, and he wanted to work on. He's now their go-to defenseman on the Marlies this year. Top minutes. I mean, he had the top minutes and everything last year, but top go-to guy this year. And for me. It's easier to find another Rodian and Amirov than it is a Timothy Lilligren. 
where he has so many of the boxes checked off. And I know, and hey, I love Rodney Namirov. I love the selection, even though I want a Braden Schneider. I love the pick for Rodney Namirov. He was great at the World Juniors. But are you willing to trade a top-line, first-line prospect and someone who scored 50 goals one year removed from his draft year in Nick Robertson over Rodian Namirov? I, I think that you could find, and even if the Maple Leafs kept their pick this year, they would have found a, a pretty good replacement that was probably just as good as Rodian Namirov as if they were uh, instead of Timothy Lilligren. Yeah, no, I and I'm kind of on the same page as you. Um, that said, like, I think I mentioned it in our interview with uh, with David that, uh, you know, I th- I think the, the Dubas press conference for me was so con- contradictory in the sense and, – and, and, and David Alter kind of kind of leaned towards it not being as, as contradictory as maybe I saw it. But I, yeah. I'm looking at, at what he's saying in that he wants to make a, a – he wants to make a move to acquire – a guy that's going to help them and he's all in right now. And then he, he goes on to mention that he doesn't want to really, he doesn't want to, uh, you know, get rid of the future of the lease. He wants them to be a continuous contender. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's building through the draft. And I get, yeah. especially right now with the way that the cap is going to be for the next likely four to five years, the draft is going to be everything for you. You're going to have to rely on guys on their entry-level deals to come up with big seasons for you and be a big part of what you're doing to make make your team sustainable over the next four to five years. And the Leafs and, have a number of them. And the Leafs have so many of them that that's why I, I'm kind of curious why you would get rid of a top-end prospect um, mm-hmm. knowing very well that your first-round pick over the next couple of years isn't going to be a solid first-round pick. You know, maybe that's where you look to move, move, uh, move something is, you know, maybe you package your first round pick with something. Yeah. And, and then if you're, if you're Dubis, you find a way to get back into the first round at some point, like he did this year. Mm-hmm. And look what he got for it. Right. Um, and that, and, and that's where I'm, I'm kind of sitting right now is I, do you make, for me, you don't have playoff goaltending right now. For sure. So for me, to go out and get another top six forward or, or to go out and get another legitimate defenseman, you're not doing yourself any favors because you don't have playoff goaltending. You need a goaltender that's going to go out and steal you games and we'll get to, we'll get to Jack Campbell in a second. Yeah. (laughs) But for me, you don't have that playoff goaltending. And if you don't Mm -hmm. have that playoff goaltending, there's no sense in you going out to make it, make a deal and go all in right now because you're not going to do yourself any favors down the road. For sure. No, and I, and I and I totally agree with that too. In a sense, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think where it lies is this is the first time where fans are actually excited, where they're in a buying mode, and it's been quite a long time since the Maple Leafs have been able to say that. I mean, I even asked them, like, yeah, we were in, we had the Jake Muzzin deal, we had the uh, Jack Campbell deal, not necessarily you know, full and buy and moves, but more pieces to improve the roster. This is the first time where we are in a buy-in mode where we can try and move picks and assets and prospects to try and improve the roster. And I do agree with you in the essence that, you know, you do need playoff goaltending right now. But the only goal, I, I, actually, I'm going to hold off this for when we do talk about goaltending and Jack Campbell. I want to get your take on quickly, just on the fact that both, 
Elliot Freeman and Chris Johnson are reporting two different things. Friedman is reporting that the Maple Leafs aren't in on a defenseman like Matias Ekholm. He still believes. And I I heard this last night on Saturday Night Headlines. But Chris Johnson thinks that the Maple Leafs are one of the top frontrunners to get Ekholm. So I'm just curious to see where you lie on that because they're not necessarily butting heads because they both have their sources. And that's really great. But both both are saying one thing and then both are saying the other. And it's really interesting to see what could come out of that, because let's face it. I, if we could add another uh, defenseman in Matthias Ekholm, um, I mean, obviously they're saying that you don't really need to do cap in cap out. Although I, I do think that that is the likely scenario where you do need to move a contract out because they are only um, have $433,000 in cap space. So to say that you can't really do cap gymnastics at this point, you can, but you still need to move a contract out. The way That's just the way that I look at it. If there's more like business numbers or side of things, I'd really love to learn that. But I just want to get your take on that. Yeah, so for me, like if you're going after a guy like Matias Ekholm, you're giving up one of your defensive prospects, whether it be Sandine or Lilligren. Yeah. Um, and I think at that point you're giving up Kerfoot, you're probably giving up Sandine or Lilligren, and you're probably giving up a, a high pick, maybe a second mm-hmm. rounder. Um, so I, I do think at that, at that point you, you, I mean, now you're talking about their quote untouchable or, you know, what we just talked about in Lilligren. So uh, do the Leafs do it? Possibly. Um, I just, right now for me, I, that at the end of the day, that still doesn't make sense because it's not like the Leafs aren't out chancing their opponents right now. Oh no! And, and and the fact is, is that when when the opponents do get chances, and regardless of how many defensemen you add, the, their opponents are going to get chances. The goalies aren't coming up with big saves. Mm-hmm. And, and and I say the goalies in you know Hutchison's had maybe one bad game, but Frederick Anderson, your starter has had a number of bad games. And that's where I think that the issue is. Um, do I think the Leafs are in on a defenseman? No, I think they're more likely to bring in another forward. Um, that's not to say that uh, Galchenyuk hasn't uh, looked good in his his uh, his debut weekend with the Maple Leafs. Absolutely. Um, but I do think they're looking still to add that one extra forward that can give them a little bit more depth. Um, and maybe that's when you see a guy like you know, Galchenyuk moved down the lineup or Wayne Simmons, who started the the night on the first line last night, maybe he moves down the lineup and and you add that depth scoring. But I I think the Leafs are more in on a forward, if anything. Um, But at the end of the day, for me, and I'll make this clear for the ninth time in the last 30 seconds, the (laughs) the goaltending is everything. Uh, If you don't fix your goaltending, you're not fixed. You're not going anywhere. You're you're. We're going to be talking about another another first round exit. Um, and uh, I I mean I think it's been made pretty clear this season with with Frederick Anderson. Yeah, he's been battling injuries in and out of the lineup. Um, and, and his record so much doesn't show how bad he's been. Uh, thirteen eight and two over twenty three games, but the two ninety one goals against not great. Uh, the 897 save percentage, not great. So at a certain point, if he's your starter going in, and I think you and I have discussed this, we we kind of discussed this a little bit pre-show here. Right now, Jack Campbell's your starter in my books. 
Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, I, I don't know <laughs> if you wanted to talk a little bit more about Ekholm, but if if not, I, I'm so willing to jump into goaltending right now because, I mean, Jack Campbell, I think last night just showed just how unbelievable he is. That was kind of a bit of an awkward situation there because I just want to add one more quick thing on Ekholm. The price is rumored, or it has been rumored out there to believe the same price that it was for Jake Muzzin, which was a first and two prospects. Not necessarily top prospects, but decent ones. And I think if that's the situation, the Maple Leafs could easily give up their first rounder this year. And if you want to move prospects, I think in sort of that, like, you know, B-level kind of thing, where it was Sean Dursey and um, Carl Grundstrom, I think you have an option there and possibly, I'm looking at three names uh, basically right now, Mikhail Abramov, Philip Hollander, and I know you acquired him, but maybe even Joey Anderson is a possibly, even Semyon Dragarchinsev. So those are four, those are four players that I would think that are like B-rated prospects at this point. Maybe you move on from Adam Brooks as well. It depends. But I just want to get it on to goaltending right now like you. Um, it is a major concern right now. And especially with uh, the way that Frederick Anderson's played. I mean, how can it not be? How can it not be magnified at this point? I mean, I'm when he came back from that injury against Montreal, he is two and five. Obviously a bad record right then and there. His two wins came against Edmonton and that Winnipeg win. But, you know, we all remember what happened there with Austin Matthews and his, you know, bad risk, quote unquote. And he does a really nice move, you know, to fool Connor Hellebuck. But in the last, in his five games that he played, and I'm not including Ottawa because, you know, not, not because he had good numbers, but because he came in relief. He didn't start. He had a 929 save percentage and a 245 goals against average in that game. But against Vancouver, result, loss, save percentage, 871 goals against 414 for that game. Winnipeg, loss, 826, 429 goals against average. Winnipeg, 1, 889, 3. Winnipeg, 844-508. Calgary lost 778 save percentage and 414 goals against average. I mean, I, that's just unacceptable. I mean, literally, I mean, how is, I'm, and I know we talked about this last week as well. I'm still confused over the fact that Frederick Anderson was so great for three years. And in the last two years right now, his play has dropped significantly. And I know that even David Alter mentioned that Dubas still has faith in Anderson. And that is great. I mean, we all want to have faith in him because he's been with this team for so long. And right now, I don't know how you can have faith in him at this point. Um, it's I, Duba said, I think if you go back through each season, anything with Fred where, ha, where he has found himself in the rut per se, he's been able to pull himself out of it. And that's the exception of what we'll see from him as we move on. 
And again, that article is by David Alter as well, because he is the Maple Leafs beat writer. I'm just trying to gauge right now that the last start against the Calgary Flames, three out of those four goals were from outside the high danger area. One was on the cusp or just inside. In all situations, all of, three out of the four goals came from the looked like the right side of the net. And you could argue that there was like traffic, little deflects and stuff like that. There were deflects last night for Jack Campbell and he was on point and he made the saves that, you know, the team needed him to make. And they outshot them, outchanced them 70 to 36 overall. 14 high danger chances for compared to four. That to me is not on. Usually there are performances where Ender has out has been absolutely phenomenal and the players in front of him have been bad. That's a situation where Anderson was not on his game. He did not have the level of goaltending that he needed to. And everyone in front of him did the best that they could. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think I've made it pretty clear on what I think of Anderson this year. I'm sorry uh, I if I rambled it, on a bit too much there. No, 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 no. I, it, it's great that you throw that out there because, you know, how many times have we talked about goalies needing to steal games for you? And I, if anybody saw the video last night of, of Jack Campbell's uh, pad stack on the to Chuck opportunity. Oh, that was um, just like that's that's the kind of save that you're talking about. It's where, yeah, you know what? Your team had a small defensive breakdown, but your goalie is going to be the one that comes up and, and plays the position the, the way that he's supposed to and steal a save for you that potentially saved you the game. Yeah. Because one goal, one goal, and you're talking about a momentum shift that could change the the outcome of the game. And uh, at the end of the day, that that's what we've seen over this this past year and a half is that, you know, sometimes we need, or we as in the Maple Leafs need yeah. their goalies to come up with that big save to to continue to to provide the momentum on their side. And for me, that that was the difference so far with with Jack Campbell this season. And yes, he's dealt with his injuries as well. And yes, over his career, he's a 500 goaltender. But remember, this is a guy who was taken first round, 11th overall back in 2010. There was potential there. There was a goalie who who maybe just never got his shot, and and now at 29, maybe has developed into the goaltender that they're looking for. And let me just reel off a few stats here. So this season, Jack Campbell is 4-0 in four games, giving up just four goals. He has faced 113 shots. He's uh, obviously got a goals against of 1.00965 save percentage two shutouts and his current shutout streak is at 69 saves and 133 minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, for me right now, that that's pretty incredible. Um, but to kind of go off of that since joining the Maple Leafs, he's has a seven, two and one record, a one ninety eight goals against a nine thirty four save percentage. And obviously his two shutouts this season are on there as well. Um, so we talk about how Anderson's going to be a, a free agent at the end of the year. And yeah, you want a legitimate starter going into next season, especially with the core group that you have. You want to have all the pieces in place. But we have to legitimately start thinking about 
Jack Campbell as a potential starter, if not just down the stretch here, potentially for next year. I know Alex Hobson is going to be a big fan of that comment that you just said. Um, but yeah, just to add uh, some other underlying numbers to that, in terms of quality start percentage, Jack Campbell's at 100%. He's 4-4. Four and four. He's had four quality starts in four games played. 100%. Goal saved above average is that he's on the plus, he's on the plus spectrum, which is pretty good, and he's at 6.51. You look at Frederick Anderson in that regard, which is funny because I know that Jack Campbell's only played four games. I, there's no... I, I have the minimum game setting as at one, but because Jack Campbell has played less than five games, I don't think it'll be qualified because he doesn't have multiple starts or like in the double digits. But Frederick Anderson, in comparison, 23 games played, his quality start percentage is 39.1, and his goal saved above average is minus 6.48. Minus. That that he's on the negative spectrum. That is obviously bad. And the fact that Jack Campbell in the four games as limited as it is, if he were to provide, you know, more games played and I get that he was injured and I get that, you know, he probably wasn't hundred percent self himself, but the fact that he is playing the way that he is right now, giving them the support that they need. It's what the it, it's what the team needs going forward. I don't you can't suggest anything otherwise than going giving Jack Campbell the start against the Ottawa Senators, and it mentioned this on Twitter um, about a day or so ago yesterday. Anderson needs to refocus and get in the zone, and I think maybe he needs he needs to work on the psychological psychological aspect of the game because he's just not there. He's not dialed in, and he's not in the zone like he was in the past three seasons. Is it because it is a contract year that there's pressure on him? Is it because that he knows that Jack Campbell can overtake him? I don't know. He he does need to figure it out. And he did say that he wasn't 100%. And the fact that he was playing injured, maybe that could play a factor. The fact that he wasn't dressed because of the injury could shed some light. That maybe if he does rest, he can get back to that point. Because there was, there was a stretch of two or three games where Anderson was on point. And right now, we're just not seeing it. And obviously, you want Frederick Anderson to succeed. We love this play the first three seasons. It it just wasn't there the past two. And, you know, goaltending is important no matter what team you're on. You always get a little bit concerned in that regard. And I think fans have the right to be that way. But you still want him to try and succeed. So you still can't have that solid tandem as a 1A, 1B where... This is the perfect example. If Anderson is faltering, Campbell could come in and give them the stretch of wins that they need. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I think right now, like, if that's the case with Anderson and he's hurt, um, it's time to sit him down and, and let him get healthy and, and mm-hmm. try and see if he can get back to the player that he was. Um, and, and maybe it's time to ride Jack Campbell for a little bit with, with Hutch being the backup. But um, they got to figure something out because, as we mentioned in the standings, that, you know, Two games in hand, but they're tied right now with Edmonton. And uh, if you want to make it far in the playoffs, you have to have solid goaltending. Yeah. Um, and right now, they're just not getting it from their their uh, you know their their starter. They're they're the guy that they have tagged as their starter. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully he can he can kind of figure out what's going on with uh, with his injury and and 
and uh, you know take that step needed to to get back to normal. But um, two quick things I want to note before we close out here: um, Zach Hyman. Um, if you didn't see the celebration between oh, him and man. Wayne Simmons last night, that right there, and I asked the question with David Alter uh, in terms of how Thornton is in terms of, you know, kind of making that dressing room better, man, if you don't understand what Wayne Simmons brings to this lineup, then you don't understand the whole team aspect, the whole team mentality. They showed video on SportsCenter this morning, TSN, um, that as soon as Hyman scored, nobody on that bench jumped up faster and jumped higher off the ground than Wayne Simmons. Add to that the high five that those two celebrated with as as Hyman, you know, skated back to the bench. Absolutely unbelievable. And that is what a team player, that is what Simmons brings to this lineup. Um, the excitement, the the passion for his teammates to succeed. That beyond anything else is what the Leafs needed. And that's what him. That's what Thornton, that's what Jason Spezza bring to this lineup. And and the other note I want to quickly make, aside from the fact that Hyman has, now has 11 goals and 20 points in 30 games, is that Jason Spezza, who also scored last night, now has a 2.94 uh, points per 60 minutes at 5 versus 5 this season with a minimum of 30 games played. And that's league-wide. He is second overall to only Connor McDavid. That right there, a 2.94 points per 60 minutes at five versus five goes to show you how valuable Spets is as a fourth line player. Might so what you're dropped. saying is Spezza is almost as good as Connor McDavid. Spezza is on the verge of being just as good as Connor McDavid. You heard it here first. Mike drop leaps out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I mean, obviously Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid, but um, that is impressive. That is an impressive number for Spets' stat line. I mean, simple as that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's worth noting because I, that is what the veteran presence means to this lineup. And, and like I said, whether it be Thornton taking some of the media presence away from the star players, whether it's um, you know Spetsa going out there and scoring those big goals, like that shot last night. Like get out of here! That was just unbelievable to pick the the cross corner, um, you know, across the body of 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 David Riddick. Like, just unbelievable. And then, like I said, you know, Simmons on the bench, just being that team guy, getting a chance to come out and start the game on the first line, and and you know the excitement he brings. That's to have those three guys deep in the lineup for for what you're paying the three of them, like just over three million. Um, yeah, just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Everything that that Jason Spezza does is living up to his nickname, Vintage. I mean, that shot was just absolutely stupid. And by that, I just mean, like, that was just jaw-dropping. That was like, that literally was Jason Spezza in his prime, picking that kind of, picking that area on the ice, far corner. It fooled Riddick completely. And <clears throat> going back to Wayne Simmons for a second, I mean obligatory you know Wayne Simmons appreciation moment because he is absolutely valuable to this team and 
he has an impact and they Keith has stated that like, you know, Wayne Simmons has an impact on this team and having him out of the roster that that energy was taken away from them. Now that he's back, he brings that energy. He brings everything back. And I'm sorry, like I love that Hyman Sally, like the one leg up, you know, fist pump, stick in the air kind of thing. But him automatically just going back to Wayne Simmons and just like slapping his hand like for that handshake, man. That's the bond. That's the energy. That's the team mentality that you want to see consistently from them and that has been lacking for years. And again, Wayne Simmons, we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for signing in Toronto. We hope you could stay here longer because, you know, you're... You're exactly what this team needed. Joe Thornton is exactly what this team needed. These three players in the off or these two players, I mean, yeah, okay, the points may not be there. But to say that, oh my God, you know, it's just a waste of cap space, five points, whatever, or five goals and all that, you're going to have people that are going to complain about that. Intangibles are important. You need stuff going forward. You have the goal scorers. You have them to chip in every now and then. They have something that you can't be taught on the ice through, like, you know, uh, X's and O's and kind of thing. They're important. I'm so happy that they're here, especially Wayne Simmons at this point. Yeah, no, uh, without a doubt. And uh, obviously, you know, huge uh, huge to have both those guys here, uh, or all three, I should say. Um, yeah. Two quick notes before we close out the uh, – close out the episode Patrick Marlowe is now former Leaf Patrick Marlowe is now 15 games shy of setting the all-time games played record or sorry tying uh Gordy Howe for the all-time games played record he is 16 shy of obviously setting that record um big for him a guy who's just been able to stay healthy and stay in the lineup throughout his entire career um so we send the best to, to Patrick Marlowe obviously um also we had a goalie goal uh, with the Tri-City Storm, goalie Todd Scott scored a goal last night. Um, always, always fun to mention uh, goalie goals. Um, but that said, our tweet of the week comes from Dane Mizutani. And sorry if I butchered that. Um, but he's a, uh, he's a Minnesota Wild writer for the Pioneer Press. Um, and uh, yeah, so he, he just said... Coach Dean Evason, taken out of context, quote of the week, you're not going to be banging each other down low when you're banged the night before and you're about to get hammered the night the next night. So quote of the year, um, yeah, great quote, uh, interesting quote, and yep. take, it for what, <laughs> take it for what you will. Yeah. But thank you, <laughs> thank you, Dane, for sharing that with the world. Uh, maybe we can get you on the show at some point. Um that said, anything that you want to share with our, our listeners, our, our readers over at the Hockey Writers, Peter? I just had a Fabian Lizelle draft prospect profile drop yesterday, and I'm a big fan of Fabian Lizelle as I have him ranked second overall uh, in my draft rankings. I got another one coming out. I'm not going to say who, but it is a defenseman. And also with... The second break for the Maple Leafs going in, I'm, I'm writing on. I'm just slowly getting my thoughts together on what they need to do going forward from here on out. How about you, Andrew? 
Well, I'll be jumping on the uh, draft prospect uh, profile train with you guys very shortly. I've got a couple big names coming out. And just a note on how important those profiles are. <clears throat> Folks, these get quoted on Sportsnet year in and year out. Yeah. Um, when the when the NHL draft takes place, so the hockey writers is a go to place for for these uh, these prospect profiles, and uh, definitely check them out. Um, Matthew Zader, obviously friend of the show, uh, he's he's yes. leading the charge in that sense from the hockey writers uh, standpoint, and uh, both Peter and I are taking part in getting you. All the information, uh, I wrote Igor Chinikov's last year. Man, oh. did that skyrocket when Columbus uh, <laughs> uh, took him first round. But uh, lots of information coming at you uh, from that point of view. I'm also going to be looking at the Maple Leafs and a possible goalie controversy um, as we head into their second long break in the last two weeks. So stay tuned for that. Lots going down at the Hockey Writers Always check them out. It's a free resource for all the top, you know, hockey writing from, you know, over a hundred plus writers. And uh, you know, shout out to Bruce and Dean and Kyle who do great work over there, uh, keeping us afloat. So, mm-hmm. other than that, folks, thank you again for joining us for episode thirty-two of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at p Barracchini, myself at Andrew G Forbes. Or the pod at sticks in the six pod s t i x i n t h e six i x p o d. You can also find us on Instagram or head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you can listen to your podcast to download our latest episode. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can bring you all kinds of content going forward. Until next time, that's it for Peter and myself. See you all next week. Go leave. Have, have a good one. one.